come on, we've had one of those experiences before, maybe more than one, that you don't really want to go somewhere because you know if you actually took it seriously, you would have to change. There'd be some things in your life you would have to do differently. I get that a lot if I go to a doctor or a dentist, and it's why I don't probably don't go very often. But I mean, come on, we know that experience. And here's the truth is that we can even have that at church, right? I mean, come on, we can all be honest here, I hope anyway. Aren't there sometimes even when it comes to church, you're like, man, I don't really want to go today. I, I, look, look, I don't care if you're at home. Don't nod. I feel that. That hurts. All right. Don't nod. But come on. Don't we all have that? Well, I want to be honest with you today. I really didn't want to teach this passage. I, I, I didn't. Because when, when I looked at the verse um, that we were digging into this week, and I looked at the passage that surrounded it, I really didn't want to teach it. Because I knew whenever I really tried to put myself in these pages, my life needs to change a bit. And, and come on, we, we don't always like that, do we? And it, I don't know about you, but that, that happens to me a bit with scripture. I can be reading through and I can be like, ah, oh, I don't really like that page or I don't really like that page. And whenever we have pages like that in scripture, we need to wrestle with it because so often I think we want to change the pages, but it should be the reverse. And the pages should be changing us. And today we're just going to go there. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 31. Um, Matthew is in the New Testament. It is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the big books. Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 25. And before we jump in, let me kind of lead you up to where we are right now, because we started this year um, having a verse for every single week. And we started off this month with, man, if I'm really committed to loving in a whole bunch of different areas. And so how am I committed to loving God? And we kind of got started on this whole topic with this teacher of the law who comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. He says, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? Because he's trying to figure this life out. And he's just like, look, look, this is a big book. You know, it's small print, double-sided for each page. Just boil it down for me. What is the one thing I need to do? What is the most important thing? And Jesus says this. He says, look, most importantly is you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So he, he combines two. He's like, look, I can't give you one commandment because it's actually wrapped up in two. So in week one, we actually talked about that first part, what it truly means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it really boils down to obedience. That's his love language is just being obedient to God. And then we coupled that with, um, Who's our neighbor? That was week two, and we discovered that our neighbor is anyone that God brings in our paths. Last week, we started to get real specific with different specific types of neighbors. And last week, we talked about, man, if I'm committed to loving God, that means I need to be committed to loving my neighbors as myself. And last week, Jeremy did a great job talking about, man, what does it look like if I was truly committed to loving the lost? Well, and that leads us to this week. And this week, what would it truly mean if I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, what does it look like to love my neighbors, those who are the least of these? Because if I'm honest with you, honest with me, whenever I jump in here, loving the least is something that Jesus took very seriously. And we have Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Hopefully you had a chance to open up your Bibles and find it. Here we go. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, now, just stop. I mean, I don't know about you. It is almost impossible for me to try and imagine this because so often whenever we picture Jesus or we try and have, you know, we try and get an idea of what Jesus looked like, right now automatically we think, oh yeah, what, is, what we've seen in all the pictures and things of what people thought Jesus looked like when he walked on this earth. But we have to realize that was Jesus not in his glory. When Jesus was in heaven, he was in his glory. He had to leave his glory and come down to earth and become flesh and become a human. So what really what we think about with Jesus in his glory is probably we just think about, wow, him as what we've kind of seen him as in like a, a physical human body. But that's not what this is saying. This is like when Jesus comes back in all his glory with all these angels. And in Revelation chapter five, it says that when he comes back, there will be like 10,000 times 10,000 angels. That's like a hundred million angels. And that's not, it's not a specific number. It's just a, hey, a representation of He's got a lot of angels. And when he comes back in his glory on his throne with the angels, just try for a second to imagine what it's like when he comes back. That's what this is saying. He's like, when he comes back on his throne in his glory with all the angels, he's going to get all the nations together and he's going to separate them. He's going to put sheep on one side. He's going to be like, all right, sheep, all right, you're over here on my right, your left. Goats, you're over here on my left, your right. Go ahead and separate them. And he's going to separate everyone, sheep and goats. I mean, it's just a powerful image. And then look what happens. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, that's the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I think that's pretty powerful because here is a group of people and they are loving the way Jesus calls us to love. And they didn't even know they were doing it. Because I think, and well, I don't think, I know that there is a right and a wrong way to love people. I mean, well, if you're truly loving people the way Jesus would, there isn't a wrong way. But when it comes to actually serving the least and actually giving to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, there is a right and a wrong way of doing it. Because in Matthew chapter six, if you want to flip there, you can, it's just a few pages to your left. Jesus actually talks about the point and how we should actually give to the poor and to the needy and to the least of these, because there is a right and a wrong way to do it. And in Matthew chapter six, verse one, he says, be careful. And really, we should point that out. Anytime Jesus is telling us to be careful of something, I would like that on my radar, because if he's telling me I need to be careful, I should probably need to be careful of this. And he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen 
by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the, hypocr- as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that, and highlight this in your Bible, because he's like, look, here's the reason. Here's the point behind this. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that, and here's the reason why. When you see so that, it's going to say, here is a, here's a point, and then what happens after so that is the reason why. So this is why you don't want your left hand to know what your right hand is doing when you are giving to the poor. So that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So so you see, there's a right way and a wrong way to give because what he is referencing here is all these religious people, they'd be walking around being like, hey, I'm giving to the poor. Look look at all this money I am shelling out to the poor and to the needy. They they wanted them to be seen. They didn't have a heart of God at all. They they wanted to give so they could be seen by other people. And what Matthew 6 was saying is that, um, you know what? That's their reward. They get no reward from God in heaven for that. They get their reward right there. So everyone who got to see them giving out to the poor because they want people to see them doing it, he's like, there you go, that's your reward. Your reward is you were seen by the 10 or 12 people that were around you when you gave to the, the poor. Great job, good for you. That's your reward. But your reward in heaven, you don't get one because your heart in it wasn't one of God. It was you were simply giving not because you had the heart of God, but because you had a heart for self. You wanted to be seen doing something great. You thought your righteousness it was something to be boasted about so everyone can see. And Jesus is like, man, there is a right and a wrong way to serve the poor and to give to the poor. And so you want to do it in secret. And this doesn't mean, man, you should never go and you know serve at a homeless outreach or something. This is a heart issue. Don't serve if your heart is, man, can't wait for people to see me doing this because that's all the reward you're going to get. No reward in heaven for people whose hearts think that you can, you know, give and give and give and you just want everybody to see it. There's no reward for that. And Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 25, as we jump back in to our passage today, he says, then he will say to those on his left, these are the goats, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, real quick, there is a huge thing we need to point out in this passage because, and and I'm all for devotionals and, you know, you know, verses of the day, but we have to be careful with those because if we just take one passage or one verse and we just say, Ooh, I'm just going to grab that one 
we can take it out of context very easily because if you were to only read this passage, Matthew 25, 41 through 40, 31 through 46, if all you did was read that, what could you come out with that? You could come out with being like, man, if I serve enough, if I give enough, I get heaven. Because if all you did was read this passage for that, in that specific context, that's what you could come out saying. And nothing could be further from the truth. That's why it's so important that whenever we read a verse or we read a passage, we've got to pull out and look at scripture as a whole and say, what does this have to do with God's heart with throughout entire scripture? Because we know throughout scripture that there is nothing we can do or pay or serve enough to earn our salvation. Salvation is a free gift because because of our sin, we couldn't pay for we couldn't pay enough or serve enough or do enough works to cover our sin. The only thing that could be that could cover that is Jesus dying on a cross, the perfect sinless sacrifice for our sins. I mean, John 3.16, so many of us know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, what, believes in him shall have eternal life. Belief is what saves us. You know, Paul talks about it in Romans 5, and he talks about it, I think it's also in Ephesians. It's like, look, we, we can't do enough works because if we did that, we could boast about it. We could boast about our salvation because we did all this stuff, but it's all about grace through faith in Christ alone. That is what gets us saved. So when we look at this passage in the context of scripture, it is not saying at all that, man, if you give enough, if you serve enough to the poor, if you you know do enough for the least of these that you earn heaven, that is not what it's saying. Here's what, is, what it's saying is, this passage does not deal with the root of salvation, but it deals with the fruit of salvation. Because those of us who, who are followers of Christ, when we truly believe that Jesus, who left his glory in heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, and took the death, a criminal's death, on a cross so that you and I could be saved, so that it would repair the relationship that we have with our Father in heaven, when we truly believe that and it's inside of us, we are changed. We are different. Now there's fruit in our lives. I mean, there should be evidence. There is a change in that. I mean, look, when, when I came to Christ, or right before I came to Christ, I used to cuss on the drop of a hat. I mean, just like that. Since having Jesus in my life, I don't cuss nearly as fast, right? I mean, come on. But that is the point of what the fruit of salvation is. Like, look, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not perfect. I still mess up, but I'm not where I was. And the reason I'm not where I was is because of faith in Jesus. And through him being in me, there's going to be fruit coming out of me just by how I'm living because he's changing me. You know, I'm not doing all these things because, man, I'm trying to earn salvation. Salvation's free, you know? So the point of this whole passage is not that this is the root of salvation, but man, when you truly have Jesus in your life and you truly have belief in him and he has come in, there should be change in you. I pray, church, that your salvation isn't just simply rooted in a prayer you said when you were eight at camp. I pray that there would be some fruit of the fact that Jesus is truly living in you. And that's what it's talking about. It's like, and, and I love it. Whenever we saw that first part of the verse, when he was talking to the sheep, the sheep were just like, what did they say? They were like, eh, when did we do that? 
They were like, Jesus, when did we feed you when you were hungry? When, when did, we didn't even know we were doing that. And that's what he's talking. When you look, when we looked at the Matthew 6, that's what it's talking about. Generosity isn't a number. Generosity is a lifestyle of Jesus living in you. It's not a certain amount or it's not how many hours you serve the poor. It's simply a lifestyle. And the people, the sheep that he's referencing here, it was just a way of life for them. So whenever they ask, Jesus, when did we do that? And he responds, whenever you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you were doing it to me. They're like, well, that's just how we were living. We weren't doing it to earn anything. That, that's just how we were doing it. He was like, well, when you were doing it, you were doing it to me. And it's scary when you think about the flip side because the flip side is he goes to those people afterwards, the goats, and they're like, well, hold, hold on, Jesus. If we would have known it was you, I mean, because they said that they were like, hey, when did we see you, Jesus, hungry? and not feed you? When did we see you, Jesus, thirsty and not give you something to drink? When were you sick and we didn't take care of you? And he was like, what did he say? He said, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did for me. In other words, whenever you make it all about you, when it's all about self, whenever you're so concerned about, you know, the, the next video game or the next big vacation or the next car, or, you know, having another enough house, whenever you are so consumed with you, and you neglect and you ignore the least of these, that's as if you didn't do it for me. And I'm telling you, that hit me this week of studying this. It's like, man, it is, when I read this passage, is my life dedicated to that? Is my life dedicated to something else other than, man, am I searching and seeking the least and loving the way? Look, when we jumped into this passage and we were talking about in Mark 12, 30, 31, that got, got us off in this conversation. Look, you got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you've got to love others. I can't say I love God and not have a heart for the poor. I can't do, this passage says clearly, now, if you're, if you're passing the least of these on the street, it's as if you are doing that to me. And so how do, how do we get, a, not get around this, but how do we address this in our lives? And, and the beauty is, I think Jesus tells us how to, um, or at least how he lived his life. Because multiple times he said, look, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He said that multiple times that, look, look, I did not come for myself to be served. I came to serve other people. People. That's what I came to do. In fact, he served all of us because we were all the least of these whenever we were poor through our sin. And we needed him to be the perfect servant, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So when it comes to man, how do we get our heads wrapped around of, man, how do I live like this? How do I get a mindset of, of really wanting the fruit to be in my life that, man, I'm looking after the least of these? And to do that, we're going to jump over to the book of Philippians. It's, uh, it's about 10 books to the right of the book of Matthew. So you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You have Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And the Apostle Paul jumps into a conversation where he's talking about, man, here's what it looks like to actually live as Christ in your relationships. Now, in this passage, he's not specifically talking about this is what you should do for the least of these. This is just all relationships. So this is good for any relationship. But man, well, as we go through this passage, 
try and see through it with the through the lens of to the least of these. And Paul, he writes this in 2 Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing, which is no things, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And that goes right back into what he was saying in Matthew 6 about, man, don't go given and servant to the needy for it to be boastful for you, to be like, man, look at all I've done. Uh-uh. No, Paul's like, no, no, no. You don't do anything for selfish gain. All right. You, you want to have a mindset of Christ? Don't do it for you. Have the heart of wanting to serve other people. So he says, look, he starts out, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, rather than doing that, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. So in your relationships with people, whenever you see the least of these, man, value them more than you value yourself. Because when we do that, man, that's serving Jesus. And, and, and Paul continues. He's like, look, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I'm sure you're probably asking, well, what is the mindset of Christ Jesus? How can, I, how can my mindset be the same as Jesus? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us the next verse. He says, look, when it comes to Jesus, who in very nature was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. All right, so he never used who he was for his own advantage, not even one time. So Jesus, remember, who left his glory in heaven, came down to earth. If there was anyone who deserved to be served, it was Jesus. But yet his whole life was about, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He never once used who he was for his own benefit. I mean, he never walked into a restaurant and was like, excuse me, um, can I have these seats? I'm Jesus. He never once did that. He didn't use his, who he was for his own advantage, not one time. And, and Paul's like, you want to have a mindset of Christ? You want to do something for the least of these, which is doing it to Jesus? You had to have his mindset, which is other people are more important. It's not going to be about me. And then he says, look, rather, what did he do? as opposed to being all about himself, he said he made himself nothing. Now, depending on what version of the, of the Bible you have, this may say he emptied himself. So he made himself nothing or he emptied himself. How did he do that? By taking the very nature of a what? A servant being made in human likeness. So Jesus emptied himself by being a servant. You, you want to be more like Jesus, when it comes to loving the least of these, do I want to be more like that? We have to remove ourselves from the equation and we have to empty ourselves and take the role of a servant. And, and we know people who are the opposite way, right? I mean, if you know people who are all about themselves and it's always me, 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 and, and look at me and look at everything I've done, what do we say about them? We say they're so full of themselves. Why is that? Because that is the opposite mindset of Jesus. Because Jesus was nothing. Jesus emptied himself by becoming a servant. So when it comes to our relationships with the least of these, who, as we remember through the passage in Matthew 25, that's Jesus out there. We need to value them more than we value ourselves. And how do we do that? We become a servant the way Jesus did. Now, now, here's the thing. There's some of you out there, and maybe for the first time you're hearing this, is this is, this is jarring you, and 
you don't have a relationship with Jesus right now. You, you just felt because of everything that was going wrong in your life that, man, you, you, you just messed up. You can't, you know, there's no way God could love you. You need to understand this, is that God loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to this earth to live a perfect sinless life, take a death on a cross that you deserved because of your sin, that we all deserved because of our sin. And he humbled himself and he emptied himself. He poured himself out for you and was a servant for you because he loves you so much. And he loves you so much, he knows you couldn't do enough works. You couldn't serve enough poor people. You couldn't give enough money away to earn your salvation. He took a death on a cross because he loves you so much that he wants you to have a relationship with your heavenly father who loves you. And the only way for that to happen was for him to empty himself for you, just like he did for me and everyone who would say that they were a believer in Jesus. And if that's you, we're just going to take a minute and I just want you to pray this prayer. You can either repeat after me or you can say this in your own words, but just if you want to accept Jesus as your savior, because you don't want to be full of yourself anymore. You want to be full of him and his Holy Spirit. And you want your life to, to have fruit that is for a kingdom that outlives you. And you want to start living empty the way he did. Then just say this prayer. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this message today. Thank you for speaking to me. God, I, I realize I have messed up in my life and I have been about me and I have been full of myself. And my life is full of sin to show for it. God, I thank you so much that you loved me enough that you sent your son Jesus who emptied himself on my behalf that he took a death on a cross that I deserved because he loves me. I believe that he lived a perfect life and took that death on the cross that I deserved for my sins. And I believe that he rose again three days later and the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. God, I pray that you would just fill me with that spirit. Fill me with more of you so I can empty myself for you and for the goodness of you and others. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that is you and you said that prayer, welcome to the family. We are stoked because you just made the best decision you could have ever made in your entire life. And just as like I said earlier, does this mean you live perfect from here on out? Absolutely not. There will be stumble, there will be falls, but man, from this day forward, every single day, we're gonna live by the power of the Holy Spirit to live for him with every single thing we do. And I'm telling you, whoever you are with, whatever seat you're at home you're with right now, please make sure to let somebody know. And if you aren't with anybody right now, there's a QR code that's gonna pop up. Scan that with your camera on your phone, fill out that form. Please let us know because we don't want to just celebrate with you. We want to be on this journey with you as, as we, as a body of Christ of believers, we want to, we want to empty ourselves. We want to empty ourselves because that was the example that Jesus gave. And when it comes to loving the least of these, we want to see those people out there as we're walking, we want to have a mindset of Jesus to be able to see them and love them the way he would. Love them as if we see them as Jesus. And as we enter into a time of worship, that's my prayer for the rest of us today. That's my prayer for me. 
that as we dig into that passage of, man, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And whatever you did not do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. I don't know where that leaves you. I know where it leaves me. It's tough. It's a hard passage. And I pray it changes me as much as I pray it changes you.